0: Yes, once again, it is Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Stooley, Fangraphs contributor and frequent destroyer. In this particular edition of the pod, we bring you Dave Cameron, Matthew Carruth, and White Hot Baseballing Analysis. What are we talking about? Well, in a move that went largely unnoticed by the baseballing blogosphere, Ryan Howard was signed to a contract extension by the Philadelphia Phillies. We look not only at the terms of the agreement and Matthew Carruth's crack analysis of said transaction we also try and understand why this particular deal might have a polarizing effect not only in baseball at large but also within the sabermetric community moving on i asked dave cameron and matthew caruth to give reckless predictions of cliff lee's start from this past friday who do you think was more accurate i'll leave that to you to judge and finally carlos silva ace pitcher or obese man what does that venn diagram look like It's brilliant, it's highbrow, it's Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. Welcome to another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, Here on the pod today, we have a couple gentlemen uh, who you'll um, undoubtedly recognize from the pod and from interwebbing in general. Uh, One of them is uh, is a well-known enemy to to the pod and to uh, my person in general, he, uh, he's co-proprietor of USS Mariner. He's a full-time employee here at Fangraphs. His name is Dave Cameron. Dave, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good,
1: Carson. How are you?
0: Good. Good. Uh, you, you weren't uh, with us last week. Maybe uh, Matt Clawson and Dave Allen and I thought you, uh, we saw the sports ticker there, Cameron down with kidney stones. Uh, sorry to hear <laughs> about that. Yeah,
1: it was, it was a rough week for me.
0: Okay, yeah, it was a rough week. Well, uh, glad to have you back, undoubtedly. Uh, another guy uh, whose chuckle you'll have just heard um, is uh, is a co- proprietor of Lookout Landing. He contributes. He takes the late night shift very frequently here at Fangrafts. He is Matthew Cruz. How are you doing, Matthew?
2: I'm good, Carson.
0: Good. Well, it's nice to have you. You're up in some glistening tower in Seattle, is that right? Uh, no, I'm at home. Oh, you're at home. <laughs> you don't you don't live in a glistening tower.
2: I, I don't know. Yeah. Not uh, currently.
0: Someday, when you start being. Uh, someday. Well, they're
2: still building it. You know, it takes a while.
0: No, I understand. I understand. Well, listen. Uh, let's get down uh, to the brass tacks, as it were. The big news this week, um, which has been all over the um, the uh, baseballing blogs and uh, the TV. I assume, uh, were I to have one, I would have seen it there. Is the Ryan Howard extension? I guess. Um, I'm not even going to fool around with the the facts about this because. Matthew, you wrote the article on Fangraphs. Here's what I'm interested in. Uh, a couple things. One, what do we have for details on that contract? And two, what is, uh, you know, what's the general reaction from uh, sabermetric orthodoxy? How would you uh, how would you characterize that?
2: Well, I think the general reaction, I'll start with the second point first, is uh, pretty much in line with kind of what I wrote. A lot of people have gone into much better detail of it than I have, but I feel like everybody... You know, we get accused of groupthink a lot, and I think it, in this kind of a case, it, it comes out of instances like this where we all just kind of share the same opinion, but it's because our opinions really come from numbers. We work from the same numbers, and we all have the same underlying principles, so we all kind of evaluate things in roughly the same way. And when you look at the details for this contract, which uh, it begins in 20, uh, 2012, if we even you know get to play that season. Well, the, the world the, might end. The world might end, yeah. Maybe because of this deal. I don't know. Maybe, you know, <laughs> who knows? This is the first
0: sign, yeah. Yeah, they, I, I think this is yeah, the Book of Revelation, uh, and uh, they will sign Ryan Howard. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh,
2: so he will play out his current uh, three-year, $54 million contract, which he signed back in uh, uh, February of 2009, which bought out uh, his remaining arbitration years. So this this covers only what would have been free agent years, and it starts at $20 million in 2012 and 2013 it jumps up to 25 million from 2014 through 2016 and then there's a team option on 2017 which by the way is the year that Ryan Howard will turn 20, uh will turn 37 uh, the team options for 23 million or the Phillies can buy it out for 10 million so uh that's that's I mean, a lot of money at- that's a lot of money just to buy it out. So you're looking at the the Phillies committing themselves a lot there. It's going to cost them $13 million to keep them around, which normally we would say he's that's almost assuredly going to get picked up. But when you're talking about Ryan Howard at 37, I don't know. Yeah, now one uh, question
0: for you. You began the, uh, the piece you had at Fangraphs. You said, I am currently laughing. And you were just yes. going to f- uh, fill your entire article with chuckles. I assume that has to do with the absurdity of the contract. Where do you just offhand – uh, shooting from the hip. Where do you place this in the uh, the sort of the, the laughable contracts out there? Is this Vernon Wells, Barry Zito, crazy?
2: Yeah, I would say. I don't know about Vernon Wells because I don't remember my reaction to that one, but definitely Barry Zito level crazy.
0: Barry Zito level crazy. Let's ask uh, Dave Cameron if if he feels the same way. Cameron, where are you putting this in sort of the uh, the the pantheon of uh, of silly contracts?
1: Yeah, I think this is, uh, crazier than the Vernon Wells deal. I mean, Wells, I think, was 26 when he signed the deal. And he was actually a really good 5 tool player. He was the kind of guy who should have aged well. Uh, obviously, he did not. <laughs> and, uh, retrospectively, the Wells deal looks terrible. But I think there's actually some defense you can make of the Wells was the right kind of player at the right time to sign that extension. It just didn't work for Toronto. I'm not sure this is the level crazy. That was, uh, you know, number one starter for a number, number one starter money for a number five starter. Um, that, that contract was just absurd. And I think everybody at the time knew it was absurd. And, but this is, you know, it's up there. I mean, this, Ryan Howard is, uh, you know, I, I talked about it in the Fangraph chat on uh, today, which, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. Uh, Ryan Howard is probably the seventh or eighth best first baseman in baseball at this point right now. And there's five or six guys who are clearly better that Howard has no argument for. And then there's guys like Morneau and uh, Berkman that he's in the conversation. And so somewhere in the seventh or eighth best player in his position, and he's now paid like you know the second or third best player
0: in the game, which is just absurd. Now, you, you know, you sort of said this thing about Vernon Wells that the contract made sense at the time. Is that is that the way? I, I obviously we can always look retrospectively, and uh, we you know we might do the same thing with the Alfonso Soriano deal. Is that the fair way to do it to to acknowledge or to sort of analyze it at the looking at the thought process at the time as opposed to uh, you know maybe after a player has gotten injured or something like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to evaluate a general manager's decisions or an organization's decision based on what they could have possibly known at the time, what their expectations were, and then if, you know, you know, a about later. I remember Pat Gillick when he signed Brett Boone back in, or that was 2000, he, he thought he was going to get a 270 with like 15 home runs and uh, some decent defense. And that was his like stated goals. And then Brett Boone had like 900 with 40 million home runs, and helped the <laughs> Senators win 116 games. And, you know, like, Pat Gillick didn't hand in steroids and be like, hey, Brett Boone, take some of these. He had no idea that Boone was going to go find some interesting substances to help him perform better. So we can't give Pat Gillick credit for, like, oh, what a great signing. Like, he, did, he just got lucky. And so I think um, we need to really evaluate decisions based on what could possibly be known at the time. And if something really crazy happens, um, you know, if the world ends in 2012, it doesn't make the Phillies geniuses for knowing that they weren't going to have to be on the hook for this money. Like, you know, the Phillies can't know that the world is going to end. I don't think they're run by Mayans.
0: So, well, okay. So one last question for you, Dave. and We'll go back to Caruth here. The there has been some um, uh, some hemming and maybe some hawing on the internet, or at least some uh, headbutting. You know, big names like J- uh, uh, John Heyman, uh, Greg Doyle uh, on the uh, internet. Um, have, they've come out and in, in, instead of you know saying that this was a, uh, a neutral or, or a loss for the Phillies, they said, all right, go Phillies. This is a this is a great contract you've just signed." Uh, even uh, some of our brothers and sisters over at Baseball Prospectus have a different viewpoint. It seems as though you know all that taken, this this contract has uh, sort of a point of contention um, among uh, baseballing fans, and I'm I'm curious as to what about it, do you think? What characterizes it for that reason?
1: Well, I think Howard's the kind of player who is seen very differently from a mainstream perspective versus a sabermetric perspective. I think like he does the things well that are traditionally overrated, home runs and RBIs. We see these guys finish really well in MVP voting all the time. And, you know, there's shortstops who might not put up the same kind of numbers where drastically better players due to defense and position scarcity and these things that don't get the same respect. So Chase Utley was a monstrously better, better player than Ryan Howard, he never finishes ahead of his teammate in the MVP voting because this is not what sports writers care about. They care about knocking and run, run production and those kind of things. So I think in that sense, Howard's just kind of like the classic example of the kind of player that mainstream guys like John Heyman will overrate, and that's not a big surprise that... Uh, Heyman and Doyle and some of these guys who reject anything that's been invented in the last 30 years, uh, you know, it's not a big surprise that they're going to overrate Ryan Howard and see this as a good deal because they think Ryan Howard's really good, when in reality he's a three- or four-win player.
0: Karuth, this uh, same sort of um, uprising was seen, I think, in the comments section of your article, because I don't know the exact number offhand. In fact, it will change. Almost undoubtedly, but uh, you know, you had hundreds and hundreds of comments there, uh, and typically, this is you know, this is a sign that uh, there's some contention among the ranks. You know, wh- what do you think is the is the reason for all of the electronic ink being spilled uh, over this particular contract? When we might think, from an ortho- orthodox sabermetric point of view, it's it's pretty cut and dry.
2: Well, I would, first of all, echo what Dave said, because that's right on the ball. And I would throw in the fact that I think a large part of it has to do with the Phillies' overall success. They've won two straight National League pennants, and people will tend to overrate players on good teams, and they will see those players' uh, contributions to those teams as being more valuable. So Ryan Howard gets just gets some afterglow from the Phillies just by dint of the fact that they did well so and Ryan Howard was part of that team so obviously they're doing something right so how be it we can't criticize the Phillies because hey look they're winning and they're winning because Ryan Howard's on the team so obviously and this this kind of this feedback loop that that I think uh, contributes to a perspective that that will tend to overrate uh, players like Ryan Howard.
0: Well, so that you brought up an interesting thing there. The, the Phillies did win the World Series a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm curious as to this angle. Obviously, if we're talking, you know, purely wins above replacement, that's going to give us some uh, range of value for a particular player. Obviously, there's a little bit of error there, but we can say roughly he's worth, you know, this much to this much money. That's just the numbers. I wonder if, and this was, you know, one of the main points that Greg Doyle was making in his article, to which R.J. Anderson responded, uh, I believe Thursday, was he's he's being rewarded at a certain point, um, which would, you know, introduce more of a of a human aspect to it, and one that, you know, legitimately as an employee myself, I don't mind that. I don't mind being rewarded for stuff I've done in the past, if if even though it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what I'm going to be doing in the future. I'm wondering if you saw see this as a reward or does this sort of uh, the size of the contract? Does it does it sort of take it out of of that consideration?
2: The size certainly takes it out of any kind of reward scenario. Uh, if they wanted to reward Ryan Howard, they could have given him more money for his uh, you know his World Series share the last two years. That's that's pretty easy to do. Or uh, reworked his current contract, uh, maybe thrown in. Some extra bonus for MVP voting or something like that. You know, you, I have no problem with, with teams rewarding players, uh, but you generally want to do it on a small scale. You don't want to do it on a five year, $130 million sale, uh, scale. And, uh, to, to kind of go back to what I was saying before or when we talked about where this ranks on the, on the silly scale, part of the reason why I think this is, this might be worse than Barry Zito to me, uh, and it's tied to this is that, the, the, there was why did they sign the contract now? You know Barry Zito, I could sort of understand because he was a free agent at the time, and you had a couple GMs that were diluting themselves and into, into overthinking his value. And but there was a you know they were up against the clock. If I don't make this offer for Barry Zito, this guy's going to come in. And he's going to steal him away from me. The Phillies had Ryan Howard signed through twenty eleven. He wasn't going anywhere. Uh, so so yeah, so the fact I, that they, they, they signed this two years before they needed to. Uh, Is what just boggles my mind,
0: Cameron? Any any possible reason for that? Why they would sign uh, two years ahead of when they actually had to? I mean, like, I'm not saying any logical reason uh, because there may not be any, but maybe do you see something like what's going on in their heads exactly?
1: Well, I think like the the only argument you can make, and uh, you know, I wouldn't buy this, but you know, people have made this argument, and I think it's the only one that you can make, is that they might believe that the Cardinals are going to lock up Albert Pujols before he gets free agency, and maybe the Brewers are going to, you know, lock up Prince Fielder, and if they expect that the economy might recover and these teams have a little bit extra money, maybe they were looking at like Pujols going at 35 or 40 million, and he might set the bar, and then we're going to have to pay Howard a little bit more and so they wanted to get Howard signed before Gonzalez and Fielder and Poole set the market for these elite slugging first baseman. Uh, you know, my problem with that is uh, Howard's not as good as those guys, and realistically, if Ryan Howard wants 27 or $28 million, then you should almost want to let him leave and hope he goes and signs with, like, the Mets or something and ruins their franchise for five or six years. Like, if somebody's going to get that overpaid, uh, you kind of want them on one of your competitors or, you know, ruining some big market payroll. So... I don't, I don't necessarily buy into the uh, expectation of inflation argument. I don't think, you know, we, we're not good enough at predicting inflation anyway. Uh, you know, it's just in general, you know, the predicting the economy is really hard. Predicting the baseball economy is even harder. Um, so you can try and argue that maybe the Phillies are expecting significant salary inflation in the future. I, I just don't buy it.
0: Okay. Now, uh, on to another sort of uh, uh, bit of transaction analysis here, or, or something of that sort. The uh, the Seattle Mariners, a team that uh, both of you are uh, very familiar with, acquired one Cliff Lee this offseason. and as we speak uh, on Friday, Cliff Lee is set to make his uh, debut with the Mariners and uh, in, in a uh, on their major league, uh, the major league club. Cliff Lee, uh, not for nothing, um, I'll point out, is is going against Colby Lewis, uh, so I don't necessarily like Lee's chances of coming away with the W. Dave, let's start with you here, though. You know, I guess my I guess my real question is, you know, what to expect from Cliff Lee, and if uh, we could extend that, if I could make uh, if I could force you to make a, uh, a reckless prediction about about what's going to happen in this game, so that the audience uh, listening Monday or Tuesday or whenever uh, can point and laugh at you. Yeah.
1: Well, I think. Uh with Cliff Lee, we've seen enough over the last couple of years where there's not really any more question of whether he's for real or not. Like the leap he made a couple of years ago, not only did he sustain it, but he almost got better <laughs> last year. He's done it in the American League pitching for Cleveland, so there's not those concerns that it was, you know, he's exploiting hitters or a bad league or something like that. He did it in the World Series against the Yankees where he made great hitters look foolish, so there's not really any concern that Cliff Lee is going to regress back to what he was a couple of years ago. I think we Anyone who's watched him pitch in the last two years knows that Cliff Lee is one of the preeminent left-handed pitchers in the game. He's got uh, terrific command of good stuff. He knows how to pitch. As a lefty fly ball guy in Safeco Field, he's in the perfect environment. I think uh, Lee's set for a really big season. If he can stay healthy and avoid this uh, abdomen thing that cost him the first month of the season, There's no reason Cliff Lee won't be one of the best pitchers in the American League going forward. And, you know, against Texas tonight, they've got Nelson Cruz on the DL, and uh, they might bring Ian Kinsler off the DL tonight, but there's no guarantee that he'll play or even play well considering he's fresh off the DL. So I don't necessarily expect Cliff Lee to throw a complete game shutout tonight, but it's against a a hurting offense in a pitcher's park. Uh, His first start at home, I'd imagine Lee will be pretty pumped up. I I don't expect Texas to score very many runs tonight. and Your boy, uh, Colby Lewis, is going to have to pitch really well if he wants to win.
0: Well, I, I'm sure he's more than capable of doing that. Uh Kirk, <laughs> let's turn to you. You know, this is uh, sort of the, one of the things that Mariners fans were looking forward to coming into the season, having a one-two combination of, of Felix Hernandez and Cliff Lee. And then uh, I think that probably Eric Bedard is also ahead of schedule. So there you could have uh, three, uh, you know, ace-like pitchers uh, right at the top of your pitching staff. You must be excited about tonight. Tell me about your feelings going in. What you'll be looking for, and please, 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 do make a, a completely reckless um, guess about what will happen tonight.
2: Well, I feel nervous, maybe anticipatory, uh, almost like uh, you know my child is going off to uh, a spelling bee or something. This is, it's, just, it's not only just because it's the Mariners and it's my team, and but this is a move and an off season that. Uh, both dave and i championed for a long time and then we saw it sort of pick up steam and and a lot of other people and and, uh, got on board and we sort of started seeing this mini bandwagon forming and which point i furiously tried to backpedal because the last thing i ever want to do is be out in front of a a crowd that goes you know off course and crashes into some trees and i don't know lights some fires but uh well, so wait, I, at least I, we have I, fire I, on the
0: pod. Uh, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be FanGraphs audio without it. Go, go ahead, sir.
2: I uh, so I desperately want him to do well and justify uh, the hype that we got. And the Mariners have done well to kind of steer around April. They they got the benefit of a lousy schedule to help uh, you know get get through the first 22 games with Cliff Lee's injury. But uh, he the, what worries me? I get, worry might be too strong of a word, but. What gives me pause is he only threw 68 pitches in his his one minor league rehab. Uh, from what I could tell, it was either uh, he was either on like a 90 pitch count or six innings, and he got through six innings and 68 pitches, and then we're like, well, that's it. Uh, so I'm gonna say I don't think he's gonna throw a lot uh, today, later today, mm-hmm. um, and I'll I'll go out there and I'll say six innings, 90 95 pitches. Four strikeouts, two walks, and eight or nine swinging strikes.
0: Look, at, I love the detail there, Cameron. <laughs> he he, uh, he kind of schooled you there, uh, as far okay. as that's concerned. Have you heard anything about a pitch count for for Cliff Lee in his first start back in the majors?
1: Well, I'm sure he'll have one. I mean, as Matthew noted, he's only threw 68, and the most he's thrown. Uh, I think he threw, like, 65 in a bullpen session or a simulated game before that. So I think he'll be in the 80 to 90 range. Uh, I do have to point out, though, that only a Fangraphs author would use him as an example of his nervousness that his kid might go to a spelling bee. I mean, really, <laughs> like, of all the things that we could be nervous about, like our future children's spelling bees?
0: Yeah, and, that's well, very ner... ner- yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> I would like <laughs> to pause briefly, Kruth, uh, speaking of spelling bees... Cliff uh, Lee's full name is Clifton Pfeiffer Lee. Yes. You may or may not have known that. Please spell Pfeiffer, and I'll give you the country of origin if you need it.
2: It's P-H-I-F-E-R.
0: Oh, okay. That was too easy. <laughs> that was too easy. All right. Do you know that he, in fact, does have the same initials as Colby Colby Lewis, CPL?
2: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, that's true. They both have two first names. If you uh, if you go to One Night Only, the, uh, the the edition for today over at Fangraphs Audio, you'll see some pretty eerie similarities. <laughs> Uh, between the two now let's let's move on we uh, uh, this has been an action-packed pod so far but there is one one more thing I'd like to to get in here uh, especially while I have uh, sort of two Mariner related authors on the line uh, Dave Cameron meet yeah. Carlos Silva um, I, I, <laughs> hope I food with me. yes <laughs> yeah, that's right uh, well don't get between him and his in his cub um, <laughs> oh god wow look at that fun! totally unintentional the Thing about Carlos Silva is he's pitching really well right now. Um, at least the, that's that's what we have in terms of a product. Um, and I think that you might have some of the reasons why that is the case. Uh, you know, he's let's say I'm looking at his xFIP right now, 4.10 xFIP. That's not world-beating, but uh, you know, 5Ks per nine, one walk per nine. It's kind of like the Carlos Silva at his best that we've seen before. The batting average of ball play will go up from the 215 mark. I guess, how much will it go up, and why is he doing this? Why is he uh, performing better than most people would have expected?
1: Yeah, well I think one of the uh, interesting things is in Seattle, I mean he was demonstrably terrible and easily hittable, and one of the things that we saw for two years is that Carlos Silva was essentially a one-pitch pitcher. He uh, came out and threw about 80% fastballs in every start, no matter what the lineup was like, whether it was righties or lefties. He was pounding the his, his little 88 mile an hour two-seam sinker, and it was just breaking right into left-handers. Left-handers were destroying him. I think last year, left-handers OPSed 1300 against him, which is just absurd. I mean, he basically turned his, the average left-handed hitter against him into Albert Pujols on steroids. And, uh, you know, I think, I guess that would be very wrong. But,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: anyway, uh, Silva, it, it was always interesting how he would just, he didn't have any, uh, change-up to speak of. They talked about him adding one, but it was never really there. Yeah, this year he's actually decided to add a changeup and uh, I talked to Dave Allen the other day and he looked through a pitch-up X-Graphs. Uh, Silva's throwing 40% change ups to left-handers this year, totally going away from his all-fastball mentality. and As we've talked about before, the changeup is a really good pitch against opposite-handed hitters and that is the pitch that has really carried him. If you look at his pitch-type linear weights on fan graphs, because is as bad as always, it's negative again because it's you know an 88-mile-an-hour sinker I and mean, it's not a very good pitch. His changeup is the best changeup in all of baseball, which is remarkable considering he hardly ever threw it in Seattle. So, um, you know, it's not going to continue to be the best pitch in baseball. There's, uh, you know, The pitch type where your weights aren't dips-centric, uh, so when his babbitts goes up, then, you know, so his changeup will go down, but uh, there's no doubting that it's been the reason that he's been able to get left-handers out. In his first three starts, he was perfect against left-handers. They were over 23 against him, uh, which is a huge change from turning every single hitter into the left-handed tools or, you know, bonds. So, uh, I think like Silva being willing to not just pound the zone with his fastball, whatever the Cubs did to convince him to do that, uh, that was the right call. As, as a two-pitch guy, he can actually survive in the League or National League, but uh, as a one-pitch guy, he got beat up in the American League.
0: Right now, hey Matthew, listen, uh, the projected FIPs uh, at Fangraphs. Um, uh, for Carlos silva Carlos Silva is one of the rare instances, and I don't know what the the numbers break down at all, but anecdotally one of the rare instances in which the fan projections actually uh have Carlos Silva with a higher uh with a higher projected fit for the season shown shows uh, mm-hmm. 4.67, Zips is 4.53, and Fan is uh, way up at 4.89, and I'm sure that uh, undoubtedly this is a product of the fact that there are a number of Mariners fans uh, that you know come to FanGraphs, and that certainly sabermetric orthodoxy suggests that Carlos Silva uh, b- had, frankly bites, or has bitten yeah. uh, <laughs> up until recently. Now listen, you uh, having been a Mariners fan for some time now, and a, a Mariners blogger, uh, not quite that long but certainly the last four or five years you've sort of been on the front lines of the Carlos Silva narrative I'm wondering if you could sort of give us from a mariners point of view a fan point of view the the arc of Carlos Silva from you know the original signing to uh, to his departure to Chicago
2: well I'm not sure it's so much of an arc it sort of started <laughs> low and got lower it's a, it's a convex situation <laughs> yeah it's it's very much uh, you know, I actually, I I didn't like the contract when it was signed because I didn't like the money, but I didn't hate Carlos Silva the pitcher at the time, <laughs> and uh, you know he was a he's a strike thrower, he, marginal ground balls, he didn't walk anybody, and he he sort of succeeded with his repertoire, and I was like, okay, that'll fine, that'll that'll play in Safeco Field as long as he keeps pitching the way he keeps pitching, uh, he won't be. He'll never earn his contract, but I had some, I was holding on some hope that he would turn out much like the Jared Washburn deal where it wasn't good, but at least he kind of minimized the damage by, uh, uh <laughs> eating enough innings <laughs> at a reasonable level. <laughs> and, uh, well, unfortunately what ended up happening is he came to the Mariners and he just became a completely different pitcher than he'd ever had been. Uh, with the Twins, you know, he was, he was a strike thrower. He threw a lot of pitches in the zone. Uh, he didn't, he didn't miss a lot of bats, but he he kept the ball on the ground enough, and, and he just didn't walk people that the hits, you know, you would require three hits to get a run home because he wouldn't put people on base via walk. Uh, he came to the Mariners and started walking people, which that was his only skill, and that went away. And so then predictably, uh, you know, he's, he put runners on base via walk, and all of a sudden his hittable stuff becomes more of a problem, and he needs to start trying to strike out more people, which means he needs to start throwing... You know fewer strikes, and I don't know where it, if that just snowballed or whatever. But and you could just look at like his uh, percentage of pitches thrown in the strike zone, and whereas with the Twins it was always in the high 50s, he comes to the Mariners and it plummets into the low 50s, and then goes to 47% last year, which is just, and that's awful for somebody with Carlos Silva's, uh, well skill, I guess. I don't even, can't even use the plural there. Uh, it was below average, and that was his only skill, was throwing strikes, and now he was below average at it. So, uh, I It was just kind of a common joke, I think, around the Mariner blogosphere after we got the Cliff Lee thing and just a couple of the tremendous trades that Jack Zarensic had pulled off that it was just like, well, he's gotten rid of everybody but Carlos Silva, and good luck with that. And then I say, you know, we joked that in like two days later, uh, Carlos Silva's traded. So that was probably, oh, that was not probably, that was definitely the peak of Carlos Silva as a Mariner was the day he left. Right. And I know that's uh, we're we're going to get a we get a lot of feedback from from <laughs> Cubs fans and Indians fans and telling us to beware of Milton Bradley and. How unhinged he is, and you know, I've 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 seen some glimpses into it with him as a Mariner, and I can unequivocally un- say I love it. The guy is just a blast. He's entertaining as all. Uh, uh, I'll get out. I'll get out. That's yeah, what meant, I meant. I think. That's what I was. Yes. Well, you know <laughs>
0: what? Uh, I I want to say that I think that this uh, the pod to date or uh, till this point has been uh, as entertaining as I'll get out. Before we go, though, of course, uh, I I uh, I don't think it would be a pod if we didn't. Um, you know, take a minute to appreciate the uh, the joy that Colby Lewis brings everyone. And so, I just <laughs> want to take one step, uh, Matthew Carruth uh, yes. I'm doing right now the Colby Lewis Cy Young watch. That's where I am in my life. And okay. I would just, uh, I would, I would hope that you could just give us a percentage chances of Colby Lewis winning the American League Cy Young this year. Yep, yeah, this year, right now, this year. I'm
2: um, gonna go with two uh, percent.
0: Two percent you're giving him for the guy who leads the American League in strikeouts per nine. That seems uh, ridiculous. Hey, Dave Cameron. <laughs> yeah. You still there? You didn't fall asleep? I'm 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 still hanging out. Okay, good. Colby Lewis, Cy Young watch. What are your uh, what percentage chance you're giving him?
1: Well, Cruz kind of stole by thunder with two percent, so I think I'm gonna go with skim.
0: <laughs> what
1: was that word? <gasps> skim.
0: You know, if he's going got a 2%, I'm going to skim it's a milk joke <laughs> oh, it's a milk joke well, I think yeah. a milk joke is, uh, is, definitely, uh, is definitely the indication that this pod has reached its logical conclusion uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't say goodbye to you guys, so uh, Matthew Carruth thank you very much for joining us uh, and for using the term by dint of on this edition of the pod <laughs> you're welcome alright and, uh, Dave Cameron, before you go softly into that good night, uh, don't worry too much about your future children and their chances in this spelling bee. Yeah, no. My, my kids,
1: uh, they're going to ace the
0: spelling bee. No <laughs> Okay, good. Um, I like that sort of confidence. And I am confident that my name is Carson Testuli and that this has been another edition of Fangraphs Audio.